0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity.
1: Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up, here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america reverend dr sean the ninja pastor with today's message
0: welcome 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 boy i'll tell you what that was the fastest i think i've ever logged in uh... since i've been doing this show that was uh... super super fast i you know what it was i got all tied up all tied up and and uh... Twitter painted over the uh the food, the food today. Ridiculous. I'm telling you, if you're in the Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, or New Jersey area, you gotta come see us at five o'clock and you'll eat. I mean, you will eat well. I had to actually abandon. I'm watching Mr. Stabley like a hawk. I had to abandon my dessert and my food. Uh I looked down, all of a sudden I looked at my watch and it was time to time to go, time to rock and roll. So I apologize if any of you tried to log in and it was a little bit late. But those things happen rarely, but they do. So uh, last week, we did this last week, and I'll, I'll catch you up for those who, who missed last week. Work is a four-letter word. This is part two of that. It was meant to be just one part, but last week I I, I did not anticipate it taking so long. So, so thank you to all of you out there in Radioland. Last week was the most active Sunday download we've ever had. And I have all of you to thank for commenting and sharing with your friends and family on social media. It's pretty awesome. We've never, we've never ever had that number of downloads uh, by the time I check, ever, the whole time. So here's your opportunity to listen to part two. And uh, so basically what this is, is you've all heard the J-O-B being called my passion, my pursuit, my calling, my drive, my joy, my career. And, and then somebody sent this to me, J-O-B is just over broke. Uh, you've also heard the saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. You've also heard people, maybe it's your own self, say, I'm just trying to find my calling, my passion, whatever else you want to call it. And when I do find my calling or passion or whatever else, my drive, my pursuit, I will be happy. But until then, I just won't be happy or content. And that's unfortunate because that's not how it works. It does sound very bumper stickery and, and all that, but it's it's not scripturally benchmarked. It's, that kind of thinking is not a benchmark to Scripture. It's not tethered to Scripture. So if we are to work until he comes, then we've got to answer the question, how are believers to view work, both secular and in the church? How are believers, people of supposed faith, to view their J-O-B? So we're going to talk about that now. Now, where we stopped last week was I started telling you this story about the six perfect biscuits, and I'm going to finish that now. So to bring you back up to speed, what we have here is we have a young couple in their early 30s, and, and they have some children. Uh, they had three children, and one of their children at the age of four years old just passed away, uh, had childhood leukemia, developed childhood leukemia, and, and died. And so this, this husband and wife, they're beautiful Christians. I mean, they were very involved in church. They, they loved their church. The church loved them. They loved their children. Everybody was grieving. Everybody was grieving, and nobody really knew what to do because this guy's personality, the dad and the husband, his personality changed. He was a real involved father, real loving and connected and caring and really really was uh, very involved in his kids' lives and how they felt and and all of that. but but you know I guess the estimation or the guess was that he took this so hard. this was just so difficult. By the way, speaking of taking death hard. And death in general, we want to send out our, our condolences as a Kehalah and as a nation to uh, the Cox family. Darren and Karen are members of our Kehala and the loss of Darren's father. I'll be privileged to be and say a few words at the, uh, the funeral memorial service on Wednesday. So God bless them. So, uh, so this guy, we can assume, we can make a reasonable assumption that, that he was devastated. His life seemed to be over. And he still had two children, and he still had a wife whom he loved. There was every indication that he and his wife were super close. They were just a loving, you know, a model couple. But you know, a person that studies grief and and does some some counseling and some speaking on that, I can tell you that it can cause a major shift in your personality and how you live and how you you operate within your life, just within your life in general, everything changes. And, and so this, uh, this gentleman was all, I would, I would use the term vacant. He was vacant. He just wasn't there. And his wife, his wife was the person at all the church events. Everybody just loved her. When she came into the room, she lit the place up. She was adorable. She was a great mom. Somehow or another, she managed to get her kids all dressed and hair done and you know, get there, and she was always, she have a ton of energy, ton of positivity, she was just always happy. She was always praising God. She was always just real connected to God. I mean, you could look at her and say, man, that's a, that's a young woman who really, really loves the Lord and, and lives her life centered around serving God. And, you know, he was on the trustees helping keep the church running and, you know, make sure the grass cutters were all doing what they're supposed to do and anything needed to be painted. You know, he was... He helped out with that. I mean, he was just mister Fixit. Great guy. But then they stopped answering phone calls. People from the church would leave messages. Now, all of a sudden, their voicemail is full. Hey, we love you. We miss you. I'd like to come over for a visit just to sit with you a little bit, see if there's anything we can do for you. Beep. There's the voicemail. Both their phones. The kids weren't as clean. Of course, they had to run to the grocery. Kids weren't as clean anymore. They were kind of a little bit forgotten because Mama's mind was far away. Man, they were grief-stricken. Have you ever been grief-stricken? Have you ever been in that place? I mentioned this last week when I was standing at the casket of my father one last time. They said, come see, you know, pay your respects one last time before we close the casket. I was standing there. Had it not been for my brother Randy, I would have literally fallen. I didn't feel it coming. I didn't see it coming. It was beyond my control, beyond my knowledge. Boom. I burst into sobbing. I couldn't even know that it was the sounds coming out of me were from me. I didn't know it. Have you ever, anybody in the room ever been hit with that kind of grief? I'm telling you, it's unreal. And you can't really prepare for it, I don't think. Well, I think partly that's what this couple was going through. And so They were bickering at each other. They were yelling at each other. They never did that. They never fought with one another. They would laugh if they disagreed on something, and they would laugh. Happy wife, happy life, he would say. I don't need to be right. I just need to be happy and in love with my girl. But everything changed. Their little four-year-old baby seemed like before they could even catch up with what was happening, Their baby was gone. It seemed like the baby got—I call a four-year-old a baby, but got well. I call my twenty-five-year-old a baby and my son a baby. So, but but this was a four-year-old little precious little thing. And before they could even catch up to what was actually happening in their lives, she was gone. Their super tidy house is now messy as all get out. You know, he pulls in the driveway. He always would keep the cars in the garage, but now cars aren't in the garage. He's half on the grass. People were wondering, man, I wonder if he's drinking. said, man, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to get through to him. We're worried about him. They're short. With this, you know, a couple of the deacons went over and the fellow trustees went over, and he didn't even let them in the house. Just stopped him right at the door. said, we're not not up for a visit. Thank you turned around and went right back inside, slammed the door and locked it. He never was like that. That's not who he is. That's not who he was. This one particular day, little old car shows up in the driveway. It's an old car. It's old and it's not very fancy. I mean, when I say old, it's like 20 years old and definitely not very fancy. Paint's all faded. Had one of those roofs on it that it has the fake, the what do you call those roofs, the fake uh, convertible, Landau roof. had a Landau roof. is was all peeled back, you know, sun damaged and whatnot. And this little lady gets out, and she's carrying a basket. And she goes up, and she rings the doorbell. And the husband and the wife and the kids are in the house. The wife is in the kitchen. Husband's over in this front room. She rings the doorbell. Nothing happens. Rings the doorbell again. They fi- they figure out, hey, you know what? She's not going to go away. So the wife says, you get it. Just send her away. Well, the difference is, this is a little old lady. You know, beacons are one thing. Pastors are another thing. But little old lady, come on, you're not going to run a little old lady off. Not a nice little old lady. You might let her come in for a minute. Don't let her in, the wife says. Never would be like that. So he opens the door and just kind of points to the kitchen. And she walked by. And he'd smelled that smell before. Smelled so good. Biscuits, this lady made, this is what she was known for. She was the biscuit lady. Anything happened in that church, she homemade them. She only took six. Now, some folks thought, because most people didn't know anything about her, really. They just knew she was a nice lady. She didn't talk very much. She was a very nice lady. Very sweet. Very, very sweet. She dressed as though and did her hair as though she lived in another time, maybe 20 years ago when she got that car. <clears throat> and, you know, I have to say the husband kind of did her wrong, you know. He just pointed to the kitchen and then went and sat back down and looked out the window. Thought to himself, man, those biscuits sure smell good, but I don't feel like he Well, she walked into the kitchen and she said, hi, honey, how are you? And this lady, who was a dear, sweet, petite, Christian, kind, 30-something-year-old lady, mom, wife, friend, she turned and she looked at this little, this dear little old lady and did something she'd never do ever. What in the world are you doing here? Why did you come here and why do you have those stupid biscuits? It's stupid. You only make six biscuits. They're probably not even that good. everybody got to line up. Betsy's biscuits. Oh, we got to get the biscuits. There's only six. Can't you make more than six? What's the matter? You got a little tiny oven? Easy bake oven? Something going on over there? Sick to death of you walking around with your biscuits, your precious biscuits. Everybody's supposed to be excited about your biscuits. Well, I'm not excited. I want you to get out of here. And she said, honey, real soft and quiet like she talked. She said, honey, I'm so sorry you're hurting. I certainly don't want to be an intrusion. And I just thought I'd bring these biscuits to you. Maybe you could have some biscuits. And I've got some butter and some honey in there. And you're right, there's only six of them. But you know what? I know how you feel. <clears throat> and this sweet, dear, young, precious mother and wife Yelled at her again. She said, what do you mean you know how I, you don't know anything about how I feel. You know nothing about how I feel. You're just some old maid, lives in a house. All she's got time to do is make biscuits, six biscuits, which is not enough for anybody, not even for one family. Make your biscuits. You go over and, oh, we're supposed to worship you and your biscuits. No, you don't know. You don't know the first thing about what I'm feeling. Dear sweet lady. Paused a moment and she set the biscuits down there were nice little nice little basket she set the biscuits down and she said honey I'm sorry that you're upset you have every reason to be but you see I do know I I do know what you're going through you mentioned that I only make six of them it's not because I'm poor and it's not because I have a little tiny oven or stingy with my food. There's a reason. Would you like to know why I only make six biscuits? She said, yeah, I would like to know why. I think everybody would like to know why. Weird old lady walking around with six biscuits. And she said, may I sit? She says, yeah, make, knock yourself out. She would never talked to an older person like that. She never talked to anybody like that. Knock yourself out. But he said, you know, one day, I, one day, a long time ago, my life changed just like yours did, except a little bit different. You see, I had children, and I had a husband. And one day, we were on our way to church, and a fella in a truck ran a stop sign. We were all singing worship songs. We were singing hymns. We were having fun. Kids knew all the words, even the littlest. We were such joy clutching on our Bibles. Kids excited to get there to go to Sunday school. My husband and I, you know, we were excited to get there. He had responsibilities. And I taught Sunday school and did women's missionary union, you know, and all that. Boy, we sure loved our church. We love going to church together. But this fellow ran this stop sign. People say that he was still drunk from the night before. And, you know, we always got to church early. So we were a little bit early, and I guess he was making his way home. And he ran that stop sign, and he hit the car. He hit it on the driver's side. Of course, my husband always drove. And he he hit the driver's side, and, you know, my husband and my children were killed instantly my kids were in the back seat I was in the right front passenger seat my husband was driving and my kids and my husband were gone from me in a moment we were a family of five and then We were a family of one. I had everything. And then I thought, I only have me now. I'm all alone. And she said, you know, on that day, my life, to me, was over I didn't think I'd ever want to live another day not one more day I didn't I didn't want to think anymore I didn't want to breathe anymore I didn't want to do anything anymore all I wanted to do was just close my eyes God why why couldn't I just climb back in that car why couldn't I just climb back in this God you you gave me this wonderful why in the world would you take my family away and leave me here take me with them Just let me die. I had everything, and then I had nothing. She said, you might have done the math already. I make six biscuits. I had a family of five. Why do I make six biscuits? Because as I was justifiably wallowing in my grief and my loss. The Lord, and she said, I know kids today, they don't like to hear this. But the Lord spoke to me and said, honey, you haven't lost everything. I know it seems like you have, but you haven't. You have me. And your sweet family is present with me. In heaven, and one day you're going to join them again. But I have a job for you to do. And she said, I said, The Lord, you took my job away from me. I was a wife and a mother and a housekeeper, and I love doing that. That's the only thing I ever wanted in my life to be a mother, a wife, and a housekeeper. I wanted to keep house for my family. That's it, you took it away from me in one day. That was my job. I thought it was from you. And now I have nothing. No, you still have a job. And she said, you know, I make that extra biscuit. Oh, I know it sounds silly, honey. I know it does. But I make that extra biscuit to remind me that God still loves me. And that I still have a job to do. And this is my job. I make these biscuits and I pray Every family I take them to, you're not the first one that I've taken these biscuits to. That's experience loss. And I know it's, we're not supposed to compare loss or grief or suffering or sorrow. We're not supposed to do that. Well, you lost only one child. You have other children. And I lost my whole family, and I don't have anybody else. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is you're not as alone as you think. And you still have a job to do. And that job was given to you by God. The dear lady leaned over. And she said, let's have a biscuit, just you and me. Let's just have a biscuit together. And let's pray. We always say a blessing over our food. And she prayed for this lady. She said, Father, oh, that this room... (sighs) Will one day be vacated of grief. But for now, fill it with your love. Amen. And they sat and they had the biscuit together. And she held this dear lady's hand and she said, You know, I know folks will say to you it's gonna get easier, but it won't. She says it's though it's it was like yesterday. It was like yesterday that this happened, but she said, You know what I've noticed in the last number of years, every day the Lord is closer to me. He's never departed from me. I have felt alone and lost for my family, but he's never departed from me. He has always stayed with me. She patted her hand and she got up and she said, Honey, if you need anything else, whether it's more biscuits, or for me to help you pick up this house a little bit, said sweetly and nicely, I'd be willing to wash those dishes in that sink and run the, run the hoover on this floor for you. Or maybe carry your children to a park because they're still little. And you know what? They've lost their little sister too. But if you just want biscuits, I'll be glad to bring you biscuits. And then she went on about her way and the family you know, as I said in the beginning of the story, this family—they did have everything. It seemed like, didn't it? Isn't that what everybody wants in their life? Just somebody love them, a love wife, a, a love husband, a children, a home, a future, everything. But you know, we talk a lot of smack in church. We use a lot of bumper stickerisms. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good indeed. You know, and all the other things. You know we do that. But you know what happens when somebody has a great loss? And I'll get to why this job, why this is tied into a job. A lot of times people go over to somebody's house when they're, when they're grieving because they're curious. You just want to see, oh, how are they doing? How they do- Oh, no, they're, it's bad. They're, they're really struggling. You know, I don't know why we say that. I always tell people when I'm, when I'm talking to them about getting through grief, let that go. Let any expectation you, that society or your family or anybody else, friends and neighbors, church, whatever, put upon you, it's you. You grieve the way you grieve. There is a healthy way, and there's a not-so-healthy way. Don't let yourself grieve unhelpfully. I, do a, I have a free ebook called Living Through Grief on Purpose. You can have it for free. Just send me a message. I'll send it right to you. But you know this dear lady suffered a great loss i think of debbie lee our friend our dear friend jerry's and my dear friend america's mighty warriors and of course you guys all know of her her son mark allenley was the first navy seal killed in iraq you know today speaking of soldiers and heroes today is extortion 17. this is the day my dear friends all across the country i know these wonderful people so many of them are just it happened in 2011, August 6, 2011. But boy, it's like it's today. Can you imagine seeing a, a black car drive up and a uniform, dress blues, dress whites, dress greens? You don't even want to go to the door. If you don't go to the door, maybe it, it isn't real, but today's that day. Today it happened. 30 times, plus a Navy SEAL dog bark. And you know... I want you to think about the Gold Star families all across America. Today is the single largest loss we've had since, you know, decades ago. So let's be praying for them. I want to I wanna say this about the story, and, and, and it's important for you to get this tether, but there are lots of jobs people have. There's jobs you have in the church if you're a person of faith, and there's jobs you have out in the world. When I wrote my book, I wrote it from two different voices. I have to explain it so clearly I didn't do that good of a job. But one is from the pulpit, me, me speaking to the church from the pulpit. And then the other is me going out into the world, the workaday world, and generating commerce and doing all these things. There's two voices there. There's two, there's two distinct voices there. And you know you've got your, we all have our thoughts, right? Uh, uh, well, I have a secular job. That's what I do Monday through Friday or whatever days you work. And then I have my church that I do on whatever nights during the week and then on Sunday. But you know there is no difference. There's no difference in that. There's no difference in job. There's there's You don't, you don't do this Christian life here and then this regular life over here. It just doesn't happen. There's all kinds of jobs. I, I will tell you, we left off to the next thing in the line of it is, is the work of the deaconship to serve the tables in the Lord's house, the minister's table, the tables of the poor, and the Lord's table is so important. We think, well, yeah, I want to be part of that. If you've ever been a deacon, if you ever, you know, they say, you know, we want you to, you've never done it before. Maybe you're a young deacon, new deacon, and they say, well, you know, this week, Sean, we want you to be the deacon. We want you to be up there and serve in the Lord's supper with the others. Come in early on Saturday. We'll, give you, we'll practice you up, show you what to do so you don't mess it up. Very solemn thing. We want that, right? We're in front of everybody. That's an important job. But we don't want the job where the pastor or the head of the trustees or head of the deacon says, you know, we've got a real problem. Our bathrooms just smell terrible. And I understand you know a little something about plumbing. Can okay, you see if you can't figure out what that is? Because we don't want to turn our visitors and our and our and our regular attenders off. We've got this poison ivy problem. We've got to get rid of this poison ivy. Can you can you tackle that? You know, children chase balls and stuff in there, and then they run home. and Then everybody's mad at us because their children got. You know nobody wants to do those jobs. Hey, you know what? We've got all these chairs. We've got to break down Saturday night. We're having an event in the in the uh, in the in the gym or whatever, and we've got to take 800 chairs down. Boy, could you come in and help us with that? Oh, I got that bad back. I got this and that. You know. You want to serve the Lord's Supper? Sure, I'll be right there. You want to come up and say a few words? You want to pray? We all want to do those jobs. Deaconship, the deaconship, when you're a deacon, and we don't have deacons here in our Kahala, but most people can relate if they've been to a regular church. And, you know, that's how it goes sometimes that folks don't want to do. Then, when the older folks, the older deacons, you know, senior deacons, seasoned deacons, you know, they don't ask them anymore. But, you know, Bobby Maxwell, I, I, I was privileged to be at his funeral. I knew him for a long, long time. He was never that guy that you just wouldn't ask. He wanted to be in the thick of it right up until almost the end. He didn't care what the job was. He'd just be – he was ahead of deacons many times. And he just didn't – wasn't the job he wouldn't volunteer. If he could do it, he would, he would do it. God help you, though, if, if he volunteered for a job that he couldn't do, guess what he was in charge of now? Recruiting. <laughs> he would recruit some folks to help. Hey, that's leadership. But nobody wants to do the, you know, the sidewalks need edging or the weeds are getting bad in the parking lot, poking up from the cracks in the sidewalk and all. we gotta got to get those taken care of. Nobody wants to do those. Works of Christian usefulness. And this is a large sphere, folks, Christian usefulness. There's all kinds of Christian activity we can do. There's, there's, there's so many things that we can do. You can you can devote your talents, your whatever wealth you have, influence, knowledge, leadership, your your uh, dedication, your discipline. You know, you never ask the person that can't pull themselves out of bed late for work every 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 Monday to be at something that starts at seven a.m. at the church on Saturday. Never ask that person; they're going to be late, and they won't be prepared when they get there. But maybe you're that person that's an early riser and you know how to get stuff done. You get there. You rally the troops. You get on the phone. You get all the numbers in your phone of all the work parties supposed to be there. Call them up at 6.50. Say, hey, I don't see you. Well, it's not 7 o'clock. Well, you live 10 minutes away. You should have left five minutes ago so you could be five minutes early. Somebody that's willing to do that. Listen, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's all important. It seems like it's not, but I'm telling you it is. This dear lady with these biscuits, do you know how many people she must have affected in decades? Just making biscuits, six biscuits, and then getting their little old rattle trap of a car and driving over wherever these people were and going into the face of a grieving family. Let me tell you what, folks don't really want to do that very often. I know of churches in this area, I can speak to three of them that I know personally. The pastors paid very well will not go do a visit in the home or the hospital anymore. They send other people. They learn in seminary. No, you got to delegate that. That will wear you down too much. You're too busy preparing for the message on Sunday. You're preparing for leadership. You, you can't be doing that. Just delegate. Get that, get that done. i tell you what. I got real sick in Millington, Tennessee. I was in the Navy, and I happened to be in Millington, Tennessee, I got real sick. They didn't know what was wrong with me. It was bad, whatever it was. I was in there for almost a week, but I'm going to tell you something. Brother A. Ray Newcomb has gone to his reward, but I'm going to tell you something. And the Hollingsworth family, they're listening right now in Tennessee, some dear, dear people. They can tell you, Brother Ray, he was there. That man was busy. He started that church, I believe. He was busy. But he got there. I was just a young Navy guy. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any influence. Brother Ray was there. He had one of the deacons with him, and he walked into my room. He said, "Well, he had a real heavy Mississippi accent. He said, now, Sean, what in the world's took you up in here?" And uh, I said, "I said, Brother Ray, what in the world are you doing here? Well, you're here. I'm going to visit you. I got to come to where you are." I said, "Oh, well, I'm. I guess I took sick a little bit. I don't know what exactly what's wrong with me, but they're working on me." He said, "Well, let's pray. Cut right to the chase. You know what I'm saying?" Look, if you're going to do a hospital visit, I talk about this in my book. you're going to do a hospital visit, don't hang out and don't start with your woe is me stories. Be there for that person. Don't be there any longer than 10 minutes unless they ask you to say, will you please stay on and sit with me? But he was in. He said, I'm going to pray with you. And he came over, and i tell you what, he must have touched I don't know how many hands. And that was long before all the hand-washing craze, you know how we do now. Every 10 steps in a hospital is one of those little deals, those little hand deals. Somehow I have to think that that can't be good for us, but maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think it is. We got a doctor in the house gives a thumbs down with all that hand sanitization. So I guarantee you he probably didn't sanitize his hands, but he shook my hand. You know, he could have been worried about shaking my hand. What in the world has this boy got? We don't even know what he's got. And then he prayed with me, and he prayed a real prayer, not a prayer. He's prayed 5,000 times, although he's probably prayed that prayer 5,000 times, but he meant it. And then he patted me said, young man, we're going to keep praying for you. We'll be back. If you're still here, we'll be back. You know God loves you. We love you. And then he walked out. Ray of Sunshine. Brother A. Ray Newcomb. Dr. A. Ray Newcomb. Now, he had a doctorate in theology, but you call him Brother Ray. And that's, that's he's the senior pastor, folks. This is a big church. Influential church. And he's going to stop what he's doing to come visit me. Let me tell you something. If you're a young pastor or you're an older pastor and you gave up on on those visits, get back in your car and go visit your people. It means the world to them. I'm telling you. That meant the world to me. It doesn't have to be biscuits and it doesn't have to be the pastor visiting somebody. Sometimes, you know, somebody gets hurt. You know they can't mow their lawn. You know how to work a lawnmower, either carry your lawnmower over there or or see about their using their lawnmower. You call them up and you say, hey, listen, I know you've been laid up for a little bit. We've had some rain. Probably haven't been able to get to your lawn. If you don't have a lawn service, I'll come right over and cut it. I'll cut your grass. Well, I love to sit on the tractor. Kid me. I love motors, no problem. Well, my lawnmower's not in good shape. Well, i tell you what, I'm pretty good at fixing stuff. Let me, let me get my little partner over there. We'll get over there. We'll fix up your lawnmower. We'll test it out. We'll see how we do. Tell you what let's do. I'm going to come over here this afternoon. You don't even have to come to the order. Tell me where the lawnmower is. We'll bring it back over to my house. We'll fix it up, and we'll get you all set. Who does that anymore? Now we're praying for you. We send a text. We hit like on Facebook. Isn't that a shame? It should be the earnest desire of the Christian to know what their special work is. Everybody's got it. I'm telling you, people come to me and they say, Dr. Sean, what in the world am I called here for? I said, man, I don't know. (laughs) And they get all sad face. They talk about, well, I came all the way to you and I thought you were going to tell me. I said, I don't know. You're going to know. God knows. He's going to tell you. But in the meantime, and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Just do that I said man that's simple that's a child child understands that trust and obey to every man his work that to which he is qualified that to which he is appointed that for which he is responsible man oh man oh man oh man I am telling you that's simple that's trust and obey right there Everybody can trust. Everybody can obey. Say, no, it's hard for me to trust. I can't trust. Man, it's hard for me to trust. You don't understand. I, I lack trust. I'm, I'm really struggling. I struggle with trust. I really do. I struggle with trusting people. I have an issue. with We love to say that. I have an issue with trust. I do. I hate hearing it. When, when I was counseling, I tell people, man, you just paid me to counsel you, and I'm going to tell you that's bull. That's top-end, high-end knowledge there I'm dropping on you. That's bull. I have trouble trusting. Guess what? Everybody has trouble trusting that's the whole point well but you don't understand I've been betrayed uh, I've been let down I've been abandoned my dad wasn't nice to me my mom was mean my this was that other. That. that's yes those things have an effect but when people when we when we grow into who are who we are when we're growing into that that's a process of growing every day every day little bit by little bit but you know what you can never Distrust God. You can't distrust him. His record is too good. It's too good. My, my friend Donna Tubb, if she's listening right now. Well, she's not Donna Tubb anymore. I can't remember what her sweet husband's name What is it? Carter. Donna McBay Tubb Carter. Good lands. You want to hear somebody tear up a piano and sing Make You Cry. If I could ever talk, If I don't know if they'll let her out of Arkansas. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But uh, Texarkana is where she's from. But I'm telling you, we get her here and get her, I just won't even preach. We'll just let her play. And at first you're going to look at her and go, come on now. Come on now, you're silly. won't be long. You'll be crying. And she sang a song talking about, Mama said there'd be days like this, days of rain. But, oh, then comes the sun. Then comes the morning. There's going to be dark days. And I'm telling you, if you're a person that's an encourager, that's your job. Do your job. You say yeah, but it really tears me up. I, somebody said to me the other day. They said, "Oh, I don't do funerals. I don't go to funerals. They didn't, they didn't even go to their uh, brother's funeral, brother or somebody's funeral. I can't remember what it was. Some close family relative, maybe a family. Oh, I don't do funerals. I don't like funerals. I don't, I don't like. Mm-mm. I don't like funerals. You think I like go to funerals? I don't like going to funerals. I don't like sitting in there trying to figure out what to say to people. Everybody that comes up, and you know, if it's a popular person or somebody didn't like." You know, people come to many people. More people probably come to a funeral where they didn't like the person because they're like, "Man, I can't wait to see him, his old shriveled up dead behind up in that casket. Probably a cheap casket, wearing a cheap suit, teeth all jagged." I never did like him. That Sean Greener. You know, I probably that's the only reason I have a lot of people at my funeral. People want to see. Go well, poke me. Don't let them poke me. People take a pen and go, "Hmm," you know, poke me. See if he's he's too mean to be dead. But you know. Nobody likes funerals, folks. One of the greatest honors I ever had was put upon me we were we were I can't remember where we were. We were headed to Chad's Ford or something. We were at lunch. remember that at that Megan's right there having a good lunch and uh, and you you guys who have been to Megan's you know it was a good lunch and uh, we were all there sitting there we didn't have any, and then I get a call from somebody at the church I was attending at the time and they said, hey, will you go do a sick visit?" At a hospital in the inner city. Well, I used to say when I was a police officer, you have to subpoena me to go into Wilmington. I don't like going into Wilmington for anything and this hospital's right in the thick of it. I said, Mm-mm, no, no. No, no, no. We don't want to go in there. I in my mind, I didn't say that out loud. And I thought to myself, Well, why isn't the pastor going? Why isn't the associate pastor going? Why isn't the assistant to the associate pastor? why aren't any why in the head of deacons? I wasn't even I didn't have any role in the church, but they called me. And something told me, you go see this. They said, we don't know if this story is true, but somebody called and said that this woman has full-blown AIDS. She's a, a drug-addicted prostitute, full-blown AIDS, and she had, what's the other one, the, uh, the liver? what Hepatitis C. She had hepatitis C, full-blown AIDS, and, and uh, oh, and she had cancer. Remember that? She had ovarian cancer. And they said, she's there in the hospital, and, and, and she told somebody, and somebody called us and said, we don't know if that story's true. They said it like that. We don't know if that story's true. Well, what do I know, you know? What do I, I said, all right, I'll go. And I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest privileges of my whole life. Of my whole life. I'm telling you, if I do nothing else in ministry, that would set the benchmark for me, and I'd say, I'm okay. This dear lady, I, I went to the floor where they said she was, and there was nobody on the floor. It said maternity ward. And I'm thinking to myself, there's nobody in these rooms, and there's no nurses walking around, and there's no lights on. What kind of hospital is this? And I walk around, and walk around, and walk around. Finally, I walk up to a lady at one of the desks, and I say, hey, this lady here, I, I'm looking for her, and I don't, well, why are you looking for her? I said, well, I'm from this church, and Somebody said that she needs somebody to come minister to her. Oh, she needs somebody to come minister to her. All right. She's down there. I said, in the dark? Not even a placard on the door said what her name was. And I went in there, and this woman, I'm telling you, she was so scarred up from drugs and and living on the street and being a a prostitute and and, and drug addict and all these things, and, and she... I'm telling you, to look at her, it was hard to look at her. It really was. I'm going to be very honest with you. She had Most of her teeth were gone. There'd be one here or there, uh, and that one was rotted, and, and she just looked terrible. She just looked like she was had already died, but nobody told her body. And I sat down with this lady, and something told me, don't be afraid to touch her. I didn't have gloves on. I didn't have anything on. Don't be afraid to touch her. And I reached out I didn't know this woman from a soap stick. Most of you don't know what a soap stick is, but I didn't know this lady. But for whatever reason, something told me. I believe God. I reached out, and I put my hand on her, and I said, hey, I'm Sean. Somebody told me you wanted to visit from a church. She goes, are you a preacher? I said, well, not really. Preachers always say they're not a preacher until they get preaching. Then they're preachers. She says, you're going to preach me how bad I, I am. I said, no, I don't know anything about you, to be honest with you. She said, well, you can see how bad I am. Look look at it. I got AIDS, I got cancer, and I got hepatitis C. Look at me. And I said, you know, I don't see anything in you but a, a child of God. I, don't, I just don't see it. And honest to goodness, I didn't see it. it. It was appalling to look at her in the condition she was in, but I didn't see it. It never, my eyes converted that till it got to my heart and said, this is somebody in need of Christ. And she said, you know, I talked to her a little bit. I said, do you mind if I share with you? Because she told me. She said, I'm dying. And I said, why are the lights off? Did you ask for the lights to be off? She goes, no, don't come see me but twice a day. I said, really? She said, they don't like me. Nurses don't I won't say the hospital, but they won't like me. And they, they didn't like me. And I said, well, that's too bad. I said, do you mind if I talk to you about God and, and your future? I said, you know what's going to happen to you in your future, right? And she says, yeah, I'm going to die. I said, okay. I said, you ever think about God? You ever ever think about any of that? Your future? Where are you going to spend eternity? She goes, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. I'm going to burn for the rest of my life. I said, why do you think that? She goes, look at me. Look at how I've lived. I lived that way right up until I got in here. Nobody's going to care about me. Least of all, God. And so we talked about it in normal words, just regular words. Folks, what I'm saying to you is you don't take a – I didn't go in there as a pastor or as a person with a uh, theological degree. I went in there as just a person who has seen in my past as a police officer and otherwise people in that terrible, terrible place in their life. And the only hope they have is God. That's it. And it doesn't take a genius – to explain to them and and tell them about God. It doesn't. Look, I'm telling you, if you're a grown person, you've been saved 10 minutes, you know enough about God. You know enough about Jesus. You know enough about the empty cross, the empty grave, and the story to come to be lived out at the trumpet sounding, you know enough. I don't care if you know a verse. I don't care if you've got to write verse numbers out on your hand and read them to her. Or read them to the person. It don't matter to me. I don't care. I don't give one rat's rear end what you know or what you don't know. If you know the story, you know the truth, and if you know the truth, you can set somebody free. And then she said, "You really." She started. Mm. She started the ball. I mean, cry hard. And she was. She is hard. She was hard to look at enough. But when she started crying that hard, she was shaking. She was bone thin, I mean, just really bone thin, and face all sunken in. It was hard to look at her teeth, and it was rough to look at. This is a person living in the 20th century. You know, come on. Granted, she first to tell you, I chose this. I did this to me. But she said, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I said, speak how you speak. I'd hold off on the F word. She used the F word about every 30 seconds. I said, I'd hold off on that when you're talking to God, but just talk how you talk. And she says, well, what do I, what do I ask for? I said, you, you approach him as a child of God, and you say, I, you know, and I know, and everybody knows that I've sinned. But she, I said, you know what? You know better. You're no know worse than me. She goes, come on. She says, everybody says that. I said, you are no worse than me. God sees me just like he sees you. And I said, you just ask him. You say, please forgive me of my sins. She goes, what if I don't remember Ma? all? I said, you don't have to remember Ma. all. Come on now. Ask him for forgiveness. Acknowledge that he can forgive you. I said, that's got to start in your own heart. You've got to believe it again. And then he will. And then when he, when you ask, he will. He'll come into your heart. And I'm telling you, when you close your eyes the last, you will see the face of Jesus. And he will make everything well. Trust me on that. And so I said, you've... You want me to pray with you? And she says, I think I can do it. And she prayed, and it was rough, but it was beautiful. Two weeks later, she was gone. I'm not sure why the staff of this church didn't want to send somebody like themselves. I'm not sure why they didn't want that privilege and that blessing and that honor and that incredible joy, but they didn't, and they missed out. But you know what? You may be the person that gets the call one day. Hey, so-and-so has been in an accident, a bad car crash. Let's get over there. I'm telling you, it doesn't take great training. It doesn't take a bunch of education. It just takes love and understanding that Jesus loves you. and They love you, and he loves you, and he loves you. And you tell the story, and you hold the hand. And you be Jesus in the room for them. You know, we can learn a few things. We can learn by reflection. You look back on your life. I look back on my life, and I am telling you, I have made incalculable mistakes. Just unbelievable. You would be stunned. People say, People always said that. What do you do? Not pay a parking ticket? No, trust me, way worse than that. And as you reflect, you reflect on the desires of your heart and your soul the impressions you've made on other people that you know that you've made. And you know what else, too? You can find out what you're good at sometimes by looking back. You're calling. You Look back. What, what have I done consistently well? You said, well, I don't think I've done anything consistently well. I think it's time to start trying a little harder because there's one thing. Every single person, I don't care what shape you're in, one thing. You know, Tim Tebow can do a lot of things. I know I talk about him all the time. But I'm telling you, he is a hero. He's a hero of the faith. Uh, if they if they write it, if he passes and they write a book about him, it should be nothing more than th- if you want to be Jesus to people, this is what you do. And I'm not talking about hitting baseballs. I'm not talking about throwing footballs. I am talking about what this man does with every spare minute, is just unbelievable. And the cameras are never on when he's doing it. And it's visiting people in other countries like the Philippines. They don't even know who he is. He goes into remote villages to hospitals that he's built. And he visits them and they'll say, this is Mr. Tim Tebow. And he just sits with them and loves them. Tells them how much God loves them. You don't have to be an NFL star. You don't have to be an NCAA football star. You don't have to be looking like he looks to do what he does you buy reflection you say what am I good at some people are comforting be comforting if you know I know you know people like that that are real comforting people you don't know anything else about them but you know they're real comforting people you reflect on on what what drives you where your skills and talents are then you seek the counsel of wise friends godly friends you say what, would you, what do you see me doing? You know, I'll tell you what, growing up, I didn't have a self-concept. Tell you, to be real honest with you, I'm a grown man, almost 52 years old. I don't have a self-concept now. I still don't. I don't know why that's such a huge gap in, my, in who I am, but I don't. And then I see people from high school and people that I worked with, and they say these nice things about me, and I think either they fear I'm a wacko and I'm going to go off on them, or maybe they knew something about me I, I somehow missed. Now there are some folks that don't have the nicest stuff to say, and that's okay too because we can learn from that too. I always say we we learn more from our failures than we do our wins. we really do. but seek the counsel of 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 good friends, godly friends, wise friends look I say this all the time too look if if your mom and dad never did have two pennies to rub together and you this is the young folk out there and you are you have some question about look. If your mom and dad didn't never get along, yelled and screamed at each other all the time, dad stayed drunk, mom stayed drunk too, and they they never had a kind word for each other. Don't go to them about relationship advice. If you're talking about me don't do it. They're unqualified. You know because they never were successful at it. They didn't have too many. Don't ask them. They don't. What do they know about finance? They, Taking care of a car, dad. I need to, know how to take care of. And the cars fall apart all the time. No, don't do that. Don't do it. That's like asking a person that that is a a cook, how to do brain surgery? It's just silly. Don't go to the unqualified. Go to the wise counsel, and then ask direction from God. Say, He says, if any man come to me, ask. If you if you ask, just come to me and ask. Commit thy way. Come to me, and then commit. I'll show you. But you know what? It's a conversation. It's not. It's not you preaching at God, yelling at God. I hear people pray, demanding of God. I think to myself, well, let me step back a little bit from this person that's praying. By the way, let's let's remember to pray for our brother Wes. He's making his way back from way far out west. He had some motorcycle trouble. I just learned that he crashed. I didn't know that he crashed. That was something that I somehow missed that. And as a motorcycle avid motorcycle rider for many, many years, you know, that that can be devastating, but we we'll pray him through. And I, what what made me think of him too at this moment is because something needs to be done, even if it's not flashy. Wes is there. He don't make a big fanfare. No big fanfare. He's just there. You're the same way. You're the same way. All of you the same way. You people show up, and I'm like, what in the world? It's awesome. And you do it quietly. But when you figure out what it is you're supposed to do, you enter into the discharge of its duties, whatever that thing is, whatever God tells you to do. You, you go to God. You ask. You go to friends. You ask them why it's God in the council. Listen to them. If they tell you something you don't like to hear, so What? Maybe that's part of what you need to learn. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I hate to paint. Now, I was a painter. I painted pictures until I got hurt. But painting to paint paint, like paint the side of a building or paint furniture or paint whatever. Oh, I hated paint, man. I hate the smell of paint. I hate the feel of paint. I hate every bit of paint. Now, it would be messy now because I can't hold myself straight and do all that stuff. And I don't exactly see straight lines anymore. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord tells me to paint. I'm going to paint. I'm going to paint. I'm done with all that mess of telling him what, I'm, what my job is. He knows way better. It took this, what I am now, for me to learn because she can tell you, God told me a long time ago that this was what I was supposed to do. And I said, nope, 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 and nope. And then 92 verses 51, seven feet to a stop, boom. Okay, God, I guess I'll do it. You're right, I'll do it. And look, I got a lot less now than I had then. Oddly enough, we this Kehala reaches hundreds of thousands. Crazy. People come to Christ. I'm learning now. People are sending me messages. I sent out another Bible. People, thank you to Don for funding that. Don, our dear brother Don is recouping at home. He funded that. Isn't that amazing? And sent it out. Somebody sent me a message. Said, hey, I, I listened to your program and, and I did what you said, and, but I don't have a Bible, and I don't have money for a Bible. But I'm wondering if you were serious. I said, yeah, I'm serious. Give me your address. I'll send it to you right now. That's easy. That is easy, folks. It doesn't. Come on. That's that's easy. But the key is, is do we wait to do it? Do we Do we tarry, or do we get on with it? We should do this instantly. When God tells us what to do, go, get about it. Get about it. Get started. You know, I talked about conferring with uh, wise and godly counsel, but once that's been done and God tells you what to do, stop conferring with wise and godly counsel. Not altogether, but stop asking. Well, I didn't like the answer to that question. Let me keep asking. Let me ask some other wise and godly person. Do it instantly. You don't consult your feelings. You don't consult your your own opinion. You don't consult. You say, Lord, here am I. Speak, Lord, and I will listen, and I will do. That leaves me the hardest one, boy. A lot of people have a hard time listening. Do it cheerfully. Don't be mopey. Oh, I hate to do this, and I'm going to do it, but boy, I hate it. No constraint, no grudge, by the Savior's love, counted an honor and privilege. Do it honestly, fervent in spirit, with. The might that comes through you through God. This is what you do, your whole heart, your whole soul. Do it earnestly. Do it constantly. Don't do it once and then brag about it for the rest of your life. Do it whenever you are called to do it, do it. Whatever it is, all seasons, all circumstances. He's the Lord of all days, all seasons of life. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Get about it and keep doing it. We should do it humbly. Don't put a sign up saying, Sean Greener, he's awesome. He's over here doing this real humbling work. You know he doesn't have to do it, but he's going to do it. Don't put a sign up on the road that blinks and all. We should do it relying on the communications of divine grace. God's grace alone is sufficient. I'm telling you that's for sure. For our spiritual work, we have to give an account to God. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Our work for the Lord doesn't stop when we enter our workplace. It doesn't. It only begins. I'm going to read this. Uh, I'm going to skip over some stuff because I want to. I want to get through this. This the Lord led me to this last week. I faced a mountain that I never faced before. That's why I'm calling on the Lord. I know it's been a while, but Lord, hear my prayer. Please hear my prayer. I need. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe forgive me jesus i thought i could control whatever my life would throw my way but this i will admit has brought me to my knees i need you lord and i'm not ashamed to say sometimes it takes a mountain sometimes a troubled sea sometimes it takes a desert is so much stronger than whatever troubles me sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe. Get on your Google machine and Google that or YouTube or whatever. Type in Jason Crab, and type in Sometimes It Takes a Mountain. That song came to me when I was communicating with your daughter, Bryn Sellers. BrynSellers.com, telling the story of the struggle, the storm that they're in. Amazing what God will do. Sometimes the simplest thing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to those in chat. And listen, thank you so much for what you do. TheNinjaPastor.com, by the way, we're now selling our photos there on the uh, Donate page and I think somewhere else on there. There's a link where you can go to my website, photos website. People have asked me, oh, I want to buy your photos. You can give to the ministry by buying Yeah, if you want. God bless you. Listen to us on. No, we won't be on on Wednesday because I'm doing a funeral. So remember that. Thank you all for joining us. God bless you.